All right, let's turn to First Peter 4, please. First Peter 4. As you know, we've been looking at First Peter because just since that all the, all the Bible is timely, but our culture continues to go down a road where we're um, insisting that God get out. And God, in His mercy uh, and His grace and justice, um, is uh, is on us to uh, to impose on us the wrath of abandonment. Not the church, our culture. He'll never leave the church. And um, and and this is happening before us, and it's going to lead to, and we're on the threshold of um, suffering. For the for the faith that we hold uh, dear to and, and and our hope is anchored in, and this is the context in which First Peter was written. You'll remember, and uh, these are believers who are about to go through intense suffering. They're already going through suffering, but it's about to get considerably worse. And the Holy Spirit writes them words of comfort and encouragement and, and direction, and this is where we are. So this is a template that you could really put over our culture right now, and. Let's look at it from verse 12 now, from chapter 4. So if you will, stand with me if you're physically able as we read from God's precious Word. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as so some, some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached, for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first... What will be the end of those who do not, do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner, the sinner, appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We spent a good bit of time last week just dive it into, and that's a, that's a lifetime, eternal endeavor. Uh, that word that verse 12 begins with, and it's beloved. Beloved. Agapetos. It's the love of God. It's being loved with the... It's being the object of the love of God with the love of God. That we're beloved of God. And that's a, that's a strategic word to put right there in verse 12. Because it's just a reminder, as Peter did in chapter 2, verse 11, that the suffering you're about to go through, don't let, don't fall into the trap that this suffering would lead you to cast doubt on the love of God. As a matter of fact, you're so loved of God that the suffering is not to cast doubt on it, but to give evidence of it. The suffering is, is introduced by God because there's an eternal purpose, a transcendent purpose that's beyond this life. 
and, and, and God has a redemptive work to work through you. And your reward is in heaven. And if it means suffering down here, don't think it's strange. Don't be blindsided by it because the Bible gives us a heads up about it. We, we went through some verses last week about that, that God doesn't cloak that or somehow another conceal that. Then you get in only to find out after you're saved that the Christian life is, is, uh, is difficult and does involve and can involve persecution. He says, so don't think it's strange. It's a fiery trial. That means the kind of trial that tests your mettle, if you will. It means that the kind of trial that, that, uh, that assays the value and, and strength of metal. The kind of trial that gets out impurities when a metal is put in the melting pot and the impurities rise to the top because of the heat that's exposed to beneath. And those impurities rise to the top to get to separate the good stuff from the bad stuff. There's all good things coming from this. So don't don't be strange. Don't don't think it's strange. Don't 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 let the devil uh, woo you into thinking that this is some unusual occurrence. This is the faith. This is the way our faith was forged, was in suffering. It's the suffering of the cross of our Savior. And we talked about last week, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Rejoice. Look at Luke chapter 6. We've looked at this before, but let's look at Luke chapter 6 if you will. Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for indeed your reward is great in heaven for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. The Bible says rejoice when this starts happening. Rejoice because your reward in heaven is Great, The Apostle Paul put it this way, that the sufferings he was convinced of this present age are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that's to follow. We have a long-haul orientation, or we should have it, where we're just not living for this life, but we're investing in this life because of the hope that we have in the next. Eternity. He says, so rejoice. That should be our attitude. That should be our disposition to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. Now, we talked about this before. Christ's sufferings were enough. It's not that our sufferings add to His redemptive work or complete His redemptive work. Our sufferings are a reflection of His redemptive work. Our sufferings arise from His redemptive work, but our sufferings do not add to it or complete the redemptive work. It's complete. Hallelujah. He said, it is finished on the cross. It means the debt is paid. Paid in full. And then God raised His Son from the dead to give evidence, physical evidence, to the eternal realm from all the way to the highest of highs to the lowest of lows and everywhere in between. I accepted that sacrifice. It's done. The sins of the elect are paid for. You are Free. You've been forgiven. You are innocent. You are justified. So we don't partake of the Christ's sufferings in that we're adding to them. Our sufferings are because our sufferings are because of the sufferings of Christ. 
That's our motivation. That when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Look at the blessings that are spoken here. Rejoicing, exceeding joy. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Think about that for a minute. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you're marked out, and you are, as a believer, for suffering for your faith, and you patiently endure the suffering, and cling to a faith which is eternal and does persevere, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Do you know what that means? I've read that a million times. Okay, okay. The Spirit of glory. Okay, it means on the outside, Christ is glorified. And the, and the Spirit of God rests upon you. It means you have an inward grace on the inside. But you know what this is referring to? I'm convinced. It's referring to our Lord's baptism. It's referring to our Lord's baptism. Let's go look at it in Matthew chapter 4. Follow with me and go left. Uh, and if you will, let's go to Matthew chapter 4. It's what he's saying is this. At the baptism of our Lord. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter, the end of chapter 3. And then we'll move into chapter 4. Matthew chapter 3. You'll recall that John the Baptist baptizes our Lord. And his public ministry begins after that. But his public ministry after his baptism begins and is preceded by his temptation in the wilderness. Look what happened to him here. Look at it carefully. Verse 16 says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice from heaven came saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here we have the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Father attesting to the identity of God the Son. Contrast that with, contrast that with, we have the Trinity giving, but we have the whole God the Father and God the Holy Spirit giving witness to this is my Lamb, this is my Son. This is the chosen one right here. When you and I patiently endure suffering, the Spirit of glory, God the Father, and the, and, the, and the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, rests upon us to identify us to others at that this is my Son. Now that's what he's saying. He's saying right here, listen to me, don't think it's strange. This has already been done. When the two come and give testimony, contrast that with on Calvary when Jesus looked up on the cross and when the world became darkened and, and, and all over the earth, when He hung at the cross from 9 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and three hours into His time on the cross, at 12 noon, the sun became dark and the whole world was darkened, and Christ looked up into the heavens and said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? God the Father and God the Holy Spirit affirmed Him at His baptism, and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit turned their back on Him on the cross so that God would never turn Turn his back on you and me. He became sin. He put my sin on him. 
They turned their back on Him and exercised the full measure of their wrath on God's blessed Son's brow so that you and I could be made free. And what's happening is this. When unjust suffering comes at the hands of whoever, whether it's the government or whether it's a neighbor or whether it's an employer or whether it's an employee or whether it's in whatever endeavor or whatever relationship, when it goes foul and when it goes south and it comes as a result of you being not outside the will of God, but in the center of the will of God. It is an affirmation of your baptism into the suffering of Jesus Christ. And what happens is that the Trinity gives witness the Spirit of glory and the Spirit of God rest upon that. He's saying this, that if we as principled godly people get blamed for the consequences of the ungodliness around us, we won't accept the blame, but we will gladly accept the suffering that the blame produces. Did you hear that? It means this, that just in Nero's time, when he burned Rome, you remember, and it, he thought, he made a big miscalculation because he thought that everybody would be proud of his urban renewal program. His urban renewal program was to burn all the slums, and if a few people got burned with it, so what? And, and, just, and just renew the city and make it the jewel that they were so proud of. But he made a miscalculation because when he did that, it, 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 the, the, city, the citizens turned on him. They didn't appreciate it. You think? Then he did. Then he decided, oh, here's what I'll do. I'll blame them to a sorry Christian. It's because they already got some accusations against them already. They have this thing called the Lord's Supper. And they, mutilate, they, they celebrate mutilated bodies and drinking blood. And they're just weirdos. And, 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 and they're just, ugh. And so what we'll do is we'll blame them for doing it. So the consequences of his actions were blamed on the Christians that they had to suffer at the hands of him and his administration and the citizens. The same thing is going on today. We're the burr in the saddle. We are the thorn in the side. And we will, if we are Christ-like, we will gladly accept the suffering that comes about from our false accusations. We won't accept the blame, but we will accept the suffering that that blame should produce. We will accept that. We will endure because that's exactly what Christ did. That is exactly what Christ did. What did the thief on the cross say? But this, when the one that got saved, he turned around with some of the most precious words in all of the Scriptures, and he turned to the other thief who was still mocking and blaspheming Christ, cursing at Him. And he turned to him, and he said, you need to hush. He said, he's done, we are getting what we deserve, but he's done nothing wrong. These are the conclusions that people begin to reach when they see that those who have done nothing wrong get treated as if they had and they patiently endure it because they're living for a higher purpose and that's the salvation of souls. That's Christ. That's what He's saying here. There is a baptism of suffering that comes with the Christian life. There is a baptism of suffering that doesn't save you. There is a baptism of suffering that gives evidence that you've been saved. There is a baptism of suffering. Those who would live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
And it's not the kind of suffering we have because we've gone off and done something wrong. That's what he says. Look how he develops it here. He moves on and he does develop it here. And look what he says. He said, he said, listen, blessed are you, the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But listen to this. On their part he's blasphemed. What is that but the thief on the other side? Jesus, if you're God and all that, then get us out of this mess. The accusations. If your God is all that, then why can't He get us out of this mess? If His God is all that, matter of fact, your God created this mess. You know what? He did. He created the cross and He ordained the cross in order to reach and redeem us from the mess that our sin created. And He's saying this. He said, you know what? Let the Spirit of glory and God rest upon you. On their part He's blasphemed, but on your part He's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. You know what that means? Don't let anybody suffer and at the hands of rebellion. There are Christians who believe that we're supposed to rebel against authority. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to be that which rebels. That's not what the Bible teaches. He's saying, you know what? You stick to your own life. You do what you do. You earn a living. You go and you come. You obey civil authority. You obey civil authority. Only if they tell you to do something that's contrary to God's Word, you obey civil authority. Because if your suffering comes as a result of disobedience to civil authority, that is not Christ. The accusations that were leveled against Jesus as an insurrectionist, and that's what they thought he was. He was a threat to the civil order of that day. They thought, oh, I know why you're here. You're doing all these things, and you're drumming up a crowd because you're going to take over. And he said, hey, too late for that. I'm already in charge. But I'm going to put myself under this authority because I'm going to reach those who are bound by sin. You know what? It's, it's, he's saying, don't, don't, let, don't let it be that you suffer because, as an insurrectionist and get all that that deserves. Let it be that through your quiet submission to the Lord, if suffering comes about, so be it. Because here's what happens. Listen, if the ills of society, and they are, are a consequence of sin, because sin does not bring life, sin brings death. Is that correct? Okay, if that's true, and that is true, what Jesus is saying here to us through Peter is this. If you're blamed for the suffering, let that blame be false. It's not because you were insurrectionist, it's not because you just wouldn't obey civil order. Let that fall flat, okay? But, gladly be treated with what an insurrectionist deserves. You hear it? I'll tell you why that's Christ-like. The reason that's Christ-like is should be obvious to us, but I want to carry you to a place where you can see it in a unique way, in a precious way. Look at Psalm 69. If you will, Psalm 69 is what we would call a messianic psalm. I happen to believe they're all messianic. I know they're all messianic in the fact that Jesus wrote them, but I believe they all show the heart and mind of our Savior. If you want to be impressed with somebody, I've got a recommendation for you. And it's not somebody who can throw a football 100 yards or have a, uh, a, a, a or, or 
do the do the hundred and top speed or or can throw a baseball 100 miles an hour and strike out a bunch of batters. It's Jesus Christ. That's a hero to be worshipped. Matter of fact, it's the only one. He's the only one. But listen to what the Word says of our Lord in Psalm 69, verse 4. This is, this is David, but it's, it's really first-person uh, uh, profession of Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. And though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. You see it? If it's said of us, if our enemies mount, and they are, if our enemies mount, and those who would make accusations against us live in such a way in submission to authority that the accusations for those who care enough to really investigate them prove false. But don't resent or don't come against or don't do anything but delight in the suffering that those accusations lead to. Jesus said, though I still have done nothing wrong, it's my responsibility to fix it. Why? Agape. Agape. Love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so agaped the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Suffering, sin brings awful consequences. If we're blamed for the consequences, let's gladly not accept the blame, but let's accept the consequences. And in doing that, what do we put on display? But the redemptive work of God that happened at His baptism when He's the God the Father and God the Holy Spirit said, that's my son. When you're in the middle of suffering, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, you're false, falsely accused, this, that, and the other, there are attacks that are coming, let it be that you submit and you love and you continue to submit, rejoicing at the privilege to do so. And God from heaven speaks to people who don't know Him and said, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit say, that's my child. That's my child. Several years ago, not in our previous church, a very, very dear friend of mine who remains a dear friend to this day. He's one of those type guys that when I have a conversation with him, we're so like-minded, it's scary. And so, and that's probably bad for him. But um, he called me up one day and I was the associate pastor at the church where he was at. He was a servant as a deacon there. He said, I got to have some counsel, brother. And I said, okay, what is it? This guy owns a metal fabrication company. Highly successful. He took it from nothing and bought it from a guy who owned it before and has made it widely successful. And he had several employees and he had four employees, three employees in particular who were professing Christians. And the business had grown to such a level that he started turning over customers to them. And so their link between him and his company soon became not so much him 
personally where it was before, but because of, because the customer base had grown so far, he's turned over to them, and they're working them, and they're building relationships. And over the past several months, unknown to him behind his back, they were planning to steal his customer base, and they planned a certain day where they all came into work, did their thing, and walked out and took his customer base with them to form their own company. He said, every, every one of these guys are professing Christians. Now, I know they weren't acting like it, but every one of them are professing Christians. He said, I've got an attorney right now. My attorney is waiting, and all he's waiting for is for me to pull the trigger and say yes, and we'll stop it. We can put an injunction on them and stop this activity, and we, everything's on our side. This is an open and shut case. We can put them down. We can ruin them. We can do whatever we want to with them, but they've broken the law by doing this. It's an act of... It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, Illegal what they've done. And they left him high and dry. He thought they were his friends. He really did. He really thought. He paid them well. He gave them good benefits. They were treated well. I know that personally, that they were treated well. I know that. It wasn't because they had some tyrant boss who was hard to get along with and they thought, we'll get you back one day. No, 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 no. They sinned against somebody who was really good to them. Really good to them. And he calls up and says, what, 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 what? I got an attorney with bated breath. He's ready for me to say, go. And we'll take care of this now. Stop this from happening. I said, brother, the Bible says that you can't sue a Christian. I said, now whether they're acting like Christians or not, let's go look and see what the Scriptures say. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that you're not to bring a civil case against, you're not to bring a case against a brother, that you're to resolve it within the church. Because if you don't resolve it within the church, you mar the testimony of the church outside it. Because they go, you know what? You guys worship the Prince of Peace and you're suing one another? Must not be all that. So they had a meeting with his number one customer. His number one customer. And they all gathered the meeting and they asked him to come because the customer's confused. He said, wait a minute, we're doing business with you and now we're, they're saying let's do business with him. And he went in there this is a lost man now that they're talking to wealthy businessman and they're all in there and he could have gone in there and said I just called my attorney and these guys are done he walked in there and he said because of my Christian faith and because Jesus Christ has changed my life and he's my Lord uh, I can see whatever you feel like you need to do you can do he tried to get us to work it out to mediate it through church circles and they would have nothing to do with it but he put aside his rights and it came that close to ruining his company and the family that that company supported, his own family. All his customer base almost was destroyed. He had to start over. But he had the right to sue them. And he had the law on his side. But he chose the biblical path. And this is the scripture that God led me to the day that he made that decision. I said, brother, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you because you've come into suffering through nothing that you've done wrong and you're being treated as if you had done something wrong and God's going to bless you. Well, that segment of his business that they took was the one that was most hurt when the economy took a dive. The part of the business that he kept thrived. And now his business today is doing fantastic but you know what that's not you know what though he told me he said if it means that this company is brought under 
in order to preserve my Christian testimony, so be it. He didn't do it because he knew that God would take care of it, although he did. He did it because the suffering of Christ was put on display through him. I, I almost envied him. Because I thought, I said, I said, buddy, here's what I'm going to tell you. You're going to go places spiritually that few Christians ever get to go. Because 99 out of 100 Christians would have exercised their right to sue these guys. This happened several years back. He called me the other day. He said, you're not going to believe it. I said, tell me. First of all, his company's thriving. They're doing great. He said, the guy who was the kingpin of all this has called me and wants to have lunch with me and apologize. And gave testimony of how God had worked in his life. God busted up that coup and showed forth the witness of his son. And he's still doing it. Let me tell you something. God is trustworthy. We can either come under his authority or we can rebel against it. We can either submit quietly, but when we submit quietly, dear one, it's the same thing as Jesus' baptism when the Father and the Holy Spirit spoke from heaven. The Spirit of glory and the Spirit of God rest on their dear Son. And that's what He wants to do with me and you. When the suffering comes and the difficulty comes, or maybe you're going through it right now, or maybe you're headed toward it, if we quietly submit, let's be joyful. And let's realize it's a baptism of suffering that comes along with the Christian life in order to put the Spirit of God and the Son of God on display to people who don't know Him. Trust God. He's trustworthy. Amen? And you know what we're going to do? We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate now the fact that God was identified and was identified as God the Son in His baptism. And we're going to celebrate the fact that God, those same two members of the Trinity who said, this is my beloved Son, turned our back on Jesus on the cross so that we could become God's beloved. Hallelujah. And we're going to have the Lord's Supper. This is a wonderful time. This is God's ordained time for us to ask Him to search our hearts. Do you have a relationship with Him? Have you repented toward God and put faith in His Son? If so, are you in fellowship with Him? Is there an unrepentant sin dangling out there? Resentment, harboring, unforgiving uh, spirit? Moral choices that we're making that are not right? A filthy computer, filthy mind? Disbelief, rebellion against what God's clearly told you to do, and you've yet to do it. Let's repent of it right now. Let's repent of it this morning. See God restore. Get in right fellowship with Him through repentance, if with the relationship is there. And let's sit at His table. Amen. And enjoy the spread there that we are beloved of God.